0: Friends, let us pray. Holy and eternal God, speak your spirit-filled word to us this day. Help us to clear through the clutter of our lives and hear you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's gospel lesson is from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Hear these words of good news. He, Jesus, left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A giant of humanity died this past week. His name was Harry Krieger, and we all knew him as Doc. He profoundly impacted the lives of my family members, and even changing the life trajectory of my older brother. Doc was a professor of brass at Augustana University, my beloved undergraduate alma mater and that of all three of my siblings. They all majored in instrumental music. They all studied privately with Doc throughout college. And they all played in his brass choir. For 12 out of 13 successive years, I had a sibling who was a student of Doc. As for me, I actually studied trumpet with him during the summers throughout high school, but ultimately gave it up after I wore braces. Yeah, a career missed, I'm sure. Well, every four years, Doc would take the brass choir on tour to Europe. He knew that travel offered many gifts, and he made sure that his students could experience them. My brother was the first in our family to go on a European tour with Doc, which was a really, really big deal around our parts. And four years later, when my twin sister Jeanette and I were completing our sophomore year at Augustana, Doc planned another European tour. And as a member of that group, Jeanette would get to go. Well, it turns out that the tour had space for other students to tag along, and mom and dad graciously offered that I could go too. At first I said, no, this is my sister's group, it's not mine, I didn't want to intrude. But then I thought, what am I, stupid? I came to my senses and I accepted their offer to travel. Doc welcomed me. He always made me feel included. I never, ever felt like an extra. My job would be to sell tickets at the concerts. I was a wide-eyed 19-year-old who had flown domestically maybe three times in my life. But I had never prepared for a trip like this. I distinctly remember getting the packing list. With the specifics of what we should take and what we shouldn't. Only two pairs of pants, not three. One skirt, five shirts, not six. Taking only what we needed and not any more was even more important than today because these were, after all, the days before wheeled luggage. We would be schlepping our stuff around five countries for three weeks in and out of planes and buses and hotels and homes. We needed to travel light. Travel, of course, was essential to Jesus' ministry. Up until the time of today's gospel story, Jesus had kept his disciples close to him as he ministered. Wherever they went, people were in need They had so-called unclean spirits that weighed them down and kept them from the abundant life that God wanted for them. People needed healing. They needed freedom. They needed hope. They needed good news. And Jesus brought all of that to them. And through it all, the disciples stuck close to Jesus. Wherever he traveled, they traveled. Where he stopped, they stopped. And when, we got, when he got going again, so did they. We all know this, I think, at least at an intellectual level, and hopefully more. Well, as part of Jesus' inner circle, they experienced all the highs of seeing healings take hold, of throngs welcoming Jesus of nods and applause, and possibly even standing ovations for his great speeches in the synagogues. And the disciples saw the other times too the rejection of the hometown boy, the cynicism, the unbelief that seemed to limit even his power. But Jesus was there to guide them, leading the way. He would bear the brunt of any travel hiccups. He had it all covered. However, any good teacher knows that at some point, you have to push your students to take charge of their own learning, which is what Jesus did. You go out. And you make other disciples. You go, with my authority, yes, but if you're really serious about what I'm doing, you bring healing. You bring my good news. You embody God's love. Go out to where the people in need are. Go out to where people who lack hope are hanging out. Don't always wait for them to come to you. Go to where they live, where they work, and where they play. And I think those are words for us to keep pondering. Yes, at Third Church, we offer many ministries right here where we are in this building. It's a vital part of our mission to fully employ this amazing facility for ministry. And we are all in on that 200%. At the same time, the community around us is not standing still. The areas of greatest need are not necessarily around the corner from East and Megs. Yes, we already do ministry outside of our walls, really important ministry. We tutor in schools. We've recently begun sending our arts and enrichment program directly to neighborhoods where under-resourced children live. And yet we have a call from Jesus that is as big as all the needs around us. We must continue to traverse the borders of race and class and economics. We must adopt a posture of curiosity and learning. Do we know where Rochester's food deserts are? Or how about job deserts? Or transportation deserts. And how would that knowledge transform our ministry? Do we have friends outside of our own social strata? Do we even ever cross into neighborhoods of extreme poverty or do we stick with the East End? Members of our dining room ministry study team did an exercise where we took a big map of the Rochester area, the old-fashioned kind that you unfold and open up. And each of us mapped out our daily and weekly routes to work, to shopping, to friends, or to events. And when we looked at the collection of lines on the map, we were sobered when we saw the vast areas where we had chosen not to go maybe we should think about expanding our travel itineraries. And I also wonder about the spiritual deserts in our community that we avoid. Where are the places of deep longing, of searching for meaning and connection to God? Chances are they're in our workplace or in our classroom or in the house next door? Are we willing to travel there too? It's good to remember that when Jesus brought healing, he always healed the whole person, not just their physical ailments. He healed their bodies and spirits. He brought them back into community with God and with one another. When it comes to matters of spirituality, so often we carry a lot of baggage, don't we? And many of the pieces carry the brand name, fear. We who call ourselves progressive Christians carry so much baggage around Jesus' call to share God's good news in words. Michael Lindvall is right. God talk outside the walls of the church makes many Christians anxious. Rightfully, we don't want to be pushy or offensive. We want to be inclusive, especially as so much injustice and discrimination is wrongly perpetuated in the name of Christianity. And I know many in this place have been on the receiving end of that offensiveness. But the heavy baggage we carry concerning what I call distorted or even bad evangelism means we avoid traveling that road at all. And so I wonder what possibilities would emerge if we took Jesus' words to heart and shed some of that baggage. After all, he did say, travel light. Take only what you need to get to where I send you, and nothing more. You can take a walking stick, and you can wear some good walking shoes, but that's it. You don't get to rely on yourself. You're going to have to rely on others, even strangers, even me. You may get the door slammed in your face, but go anyway go where I send you. Go and tell and live. The gospel's claim on our lives is indeed personal, but it's not meant to remain private. And while it's not our job to convert people to our way of belief, it is our call to tell our stories of how we have experienced God at work in our lives and in the world around us. Writes Lindvall, this text insists that in spite of the potential for rejection or at least anxiety or embarrassment, telling the story with words is part of the claim that Christ lays upon his disciples. It requires integrity between word and deed, he says, and simply telling others about the God who has come to mean so much to us, from the heart, in our own words, and without shame. One of the things that Doc included on our packing list was a travel journal. He encouraged each of us to document our experience, and I pulled that journal out the other day. A blue spiral-bound notebook with a Berlin travel sticker on it. Berlin was our second stop on the tour, and it was several years before the Berlin Wall came down. Now, having experienced both sides of the wall, west and east, in Berlin, we then continued on to Leipzig in what was, at that time, still communist East Germany. And in my travel journal, I wrote how, other than the St. Thomas Church, where so much of Bach's music ministry took place, the whole city felt negative, desolate, even creepy. It felt like we were being watched and stared at. Maybe our rooms were bugged, we thought. There was a strange man who walked into the hotel room of one of our group, and the food was atrocious. And I wrote that I didn't like it at all. I didn't like the place, and I wasn't keen on the people. In Leipzig was a small Lutheran seminary. Doc himself was Lutheran, a person of deep faith, and Augustana is also a Lutheran college. So through another professor's connection to one of the Leipzig seminary faculty, Doc arranged for the brass choir to give a concert there for the theology students. But there was one small detail. We had a mandatory state-sponsored tour guide, and this little excursion was not officially sanctioned. So our group of 30 or so could not leave en masse, lest we draw attention to ourselves. We had to leave our drab, dumpy hotel to walk to the seminary in twos and threes at staggered times. And after the concert in this place where we were not supposed to be, We got to stay afterwards and talk to these East German students for a long time. They told us about their frustrations, how difficult it was to get visas to travel outside of the communist bloc, how they could say what they wanted within the confines of the seminary but outside of it they could not freely speak, how they were fed propaganda And even when they learned English, it was all politically-based conversation and translation. And they said they had been eagerly waiting for two months for us to come to bring some light into their lives, some hope for change and newness. And it couldn't have happened in this particular way if we had not been sent there, surely by Doc, but possibly even by God. Now, I'm not one to say that I have the inside scoop on God's mind, nor do I see God as a cosmic puppeteer. But as a person of faith, I have to hold out the possibility that God might have had something to do with sending us to this city that felt strange and foreboding and until that evening, unwelcoming. But more than that, the experience changed me. I no longer saw the East German people as other. They became human to me. Their experience of systemic oppression opened my eyes. Their deep longings touched my soul profoundly. They gave me hope. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why Jesus sent his disciples out on their own into the villages to carry on his mission so that they would be changed. Undoubtedly, other people needed transformation. The Gospel says that. And so do we. Kurt Krushwitz writes, time after time, God uses engagement with the world as a catalyst for spiritual growth among God's people. By engaging in God's mission, people develop a deeper understanding of God, the world, and their calling in it. And that's the gist of Mark's story, I think. To give and receive, to heal, and be healed, to tell, and to listen. By all means, we should travel light. But also, by crossing new borders, by building new relationships, by sharing from the heart, we will also travel well. Amen.